You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out to your ancestral helping spirits and to mine. I call out to those people who went before us. I ask them to be with us, to be close, to help us to learn from those who have gone before us in a good way. Help us to understand that which endures, that which we must hold on to and continue to practice, to bring forward, to be the best possible version of humans that we can be. And I ask these ancestors to help us to lean in and understand where we must innovate in our own time. What are the things we need to do differently and how might we do that? We ask these ancestors to help us to change what must be changed and to have the courage of heart to understand the transformation that our time is asking out of us. And so as these ancestors gather around close here today to help us, we call out to those ancestors that were here long before there was ever a human. We call out to those non-human ancestors in their many forms and the great diversity of life all around us. Those ancient, ancient ones, we call you in to help us to more fully understand our own true nature, to help us to understand more deeply what is the essence that we each bring in this life. We ask you to help us to understand how to give that unique genius to the world in a way that is good for all living things. And we call out to these ancient ancestors in their great diversity in that expression of the spark of life all around us with such beauty. We call out to you to be with us as well. And as the ancestors in their many forms gather around us, let us reach up and call our energy in from wherever it might be, gabbing about, multitasking, doing the many things we're called on to do in this day, and let it come into our mind where we focus on our clarity and let it move in with the next breath into our heart. And may we connect there to what rings true and let us draw our energy with the next breath down to our belly to connect in to the passion and the love of life itself. And with the next breath, let us reach down to the earth herself and take a moment to stop everything and give gratitude for this day. Gratitude for your life. Gratitude for all that has been in your life that has brought you to this moment. And gratitude for all that is to come. We give thanks for this opportunity here with such beauty and diversity all around, offering teaching so abundantly. And we give gratitude to the generosity in the earth's dreaming that anything that needs to change can be changed as long as we are still breathing. We give enormous gratitude for this miracle that is our life. And we begin to send our energy down through all the layers of the earth, giving gratitude as we go 
to the very center of the earth and take a moment and just settle in, connecting into those energies that draw their power from darkness and stillness, from silence and solitude. Let us reach into that energy that restores and rejuvenates that which is before all the abundance that we share here on earth. And let us reach into that energy and call it up, up through all the layers of the earth, into our bodies, the bottoms of our feet, the base of our torso, drawing the earth energy in. And in this way, we call up the wisdom of manifestation that we might learn how to be here in form in a good way. We call out to this energy to renew and restore us, help us to be grounded and be trustworthy and dependable in our lives and to understand who we are, where we stand and what our life stands for and to take responsibility for the gift that we bring into the world. And so we reach out to the energy of the earth to help us to understand connection and interconnection, to help us to understand a sense of belonging a sense of home and hearth that is not simply based mindlessly on tradition, but is actually engaged with what has heart and meaning to us so that we can open our own personal borders to those who are other than we are, open our home, open a seat at our table for those that are different than we are. And we ask that that which is unique about them inspires us to come ever more fully into the men and the women that we've been born to be. And so as we learn about connection with all the aspects of ourself, may we come into better connection with each other, relationship, better relationship with our environment, better relationship with the invisible world. And as we do this, may we reach into that great web of life and to feel that oneness, even if for just a moment, and let that become the context for our understanding of what right relationship means. And let us draw this energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind as we reach up and out the top of our heads into whatever weather is above us, out through the atmosphere as it thins into the cosmos, reaching all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name you call that energy, whatever way you understand it, may you connect with that energy. Take a moment See yourself in it and it in you. Reach into it and draw it down into these proceedings, into your day, into your body. And we call this energy down from above, this radiant light down. And in this way, we call in the essence energy of blessing into our lives. We call in protection. We call in inspiration and illumination and the benevolence of our universe. And may these energies inspire us to find mentors and to be mentors, to find champions and to be champions. And in this way, in unexpected ways, may we be the lighthouse that helps others find their way in their storm. And may we find the lighthouse when we are lost in ours. And as we call this energy in from above and send it all the way down through our body and all the way down to the center of the earth, as earth and sky connect within us, these two great legendary lovers and that connection of that big love that has brought this entire experience of form that we all share into existence, we give gratitude for that energy 
And we ask that big love to inspire the spirits of our own hearts to awaken here today. Let us all open up that crucible of transformation that lives in our heart and draw up the fiery passions of the belly that know why we are here into our heart and draw down the crystal clarity that understands, hmm, I have to figure out how to do that in my own time. So as we call these energies into that crucible of transformation, let them mix and merge and give birth to that third and most essential thing, which is your heart's memory of why you are here, what it is that you bring to the world. And may you reach into that very same human heart and find the courage that you need to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts absolutely manifest into the world. And for all the spirit help that is countless and endless that we have to do that task, I am deeply, deeply grateful. May what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. Speaking of living things, I'd like to give a special gratitude to Joan and Margaret, Thomas, Jeff, Michelle, Allison, Joyce, Jessica, Julie, and Colette. I give gratitude to you for your offerings to the show, for your donations that help us to keep the show on the air live, keep the archives available to anyone who can get on the internet free um, on the Why Shamanism Now page um, on iTunes and uh, on co-creatornetwork.com so I am grateful for all of you for those of you who are listening for the first time why shamanism now is listener supported and it is because of financial donations from people like you people who are moved by the show in some way often moved to frustration and irritation but sometimes moved to inspiration and illumination however it is that you are moved in your heart may you do that most fundamental of shamanic actions which is to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And do something, large or small, to help the show to grow if you are not able to donate financially, which you can all do through the Why Shamanism Now page um, on the internet. Um, If you can't donate financially, consider what else could you do? What could you do to help the show to grow, to bring the teachings into your life, to share them with other people, and in whatever way you can help all of us come to grow wise in our understanding of how do we bring shamanic practices into effective and safe application in our contemporary lives. And for everything y'all are doing to help me do this, I am deeply grateful. I'm also grateful for our guest today. Um, Our topic today is embracing uncertainty and uh, Michael Stone is here joining me to talk about this. Welcome, Michael. Thank you so much, Christina, and thank you for that beautiful invocation and your wonderful show. What a gift it is. Well, thank you, Michael. For those of you that haven't found Michael yet out there in the um, audio world, Michael um, is the host and producer of the Shamanism Global Summit, the Global New Moon Series, and KVMR's Conversations, which interviews leading-edge thinkers, authors, and activists in areas of environmental restoration, social justice, and spiritual fulfillment. Michael is the co-founder of the Quantum Consulting Group, a global organizational development consulting firm that combines quantum theory with mystical shamanic wisdom to provide healing, wholeness, and belief change programs. Michael also leads classes, teleseminars, and workshops on embodied shamanism, moving meditation, and unity spirituality, and he is on the faculty of Shift Network. 
Um, if you'd like to contact Michael directly, you can reach him at Michael at wellofLight.com. And you can also go to the website, which is wellofLight.com. And so today's show, since this is going to live in the archives, I just want to say today's show is live February 27th, 2018, just to give you all some context. But what I want to say is that next week, Michael begins a live online course to explore the topics we're talking about today. The course is called Transcending Anxiety, Stress, and Depression. And Michael uh, will be teaching with Mel Schwartz, who is a practicing psychotherapist and author himself. And this course starts on Wednesday, March 7th at 5 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern Time. And this will run for six weeks. Um, Each session is 90 minutes and they will be recorded which is, of course, the beauty of this kind of teaching is if you can't quite make it, it's recorded for you to engage with at, in your own time. So if you would like to register for this course, you can go to, all right, Michael, wellofLight.com <laughs> slash transcending. Right, forward slash. Forward slash transcending. Um, however, we also have the link on the show page uh, for Michael on whyshamanismnow.com and the Facebook page. So we're putting it everywhere. <laughs> so anyway, we are live today. And so if you have any questions about today's show, you are welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site or you can email myself, Christina, at lastmasscenter.org, or Michael at michael at wellofLight.com. All right, embracing uncertainty and science. I love science. Everybody is always shocked to find out that I started my life as a scientist. But anyway, mm. so Michael, thank you again for joining us today. Um, Your interests are deep and widely developed. Um, As I said already, environment, social justice, journalism, organizational development, etc. I mean, and these are, I mean, from my perspective, these all have an obvious tie into shamanism, but that's me and my world. (laughs) So, (laughs) So what, what? What happened for you? You know, where where did you step off the cliff and have the invisible path be there under your feet? Well, you know, I have quite a varied background. And I I go all the way back to my meditations with Alan Watts back in the 60s. So, you know, meditation really was the ground for me. And, uh, And then I started working in the early 70s with Gabrielle Roth and worked with her and taught uh, the five rhythms uh, for, well, until, well, I still do, and that's 45 years, I guess. So, uh, you know, what I've taught uh, through the last uh, decade and a half or so is embodied shamanism. And I consider that to be a really important aspect of shamanism, which is often missed in what we call core shamanism or Western shamanism. Um, There is a great tendency to have an out-of-body experience, and not that that's a bad thing. uh, But my work has always been around what produces results. And what I notice is that when people have out-of-body experiences um, or dissociate in their or do spiritual bypass by leaving their body, the results that are available in shamanism aren't 
uh, aren't really there as powerfully. I came out of the corporate world. I'm actually just going back after a a uh, ten-year, uh, uh, what what was going to be six months became a ten-year sabbatical uh, to deepen my own work, and um, and that's where I started tying in the shamanic work that I had been practicing with uh, how much it was parallel to what was coming out in science. And I love that you like uh, that you're a science buff because. Uh, I know that you appreciate the connections that are being made. And while some people freeze over and and go unconscious when you talk about shamanism, when you talk about science, you often have an access to them. So when we talk about the principles of uh, quantum science, quantum physics, we talk about inseparability, the same thing that's been said by the mystics and shaman for hundreds of thousands of years, that everything is connected and affects everything else. Or uncertainty, where we can choose from just a myriad of different effects, different levels of reality, as in shamanism. So uh, embracing, which I'll get back to your question in a minute, I just wanted to give some background. Embracing uncertainty is really the same as recognizing the multiple implicit and explicit uh, worlds, the visible and the invisible worlds of shamanism. Um, And... You know, there's so many things. Uh, coherence is a big thing. As above, so below. Wave collapse uh, in in physics is the same as soul loss. Um, the implicate, the eclipse, uh, uh, explicate being the invisible and the world of form. So, I really love being able to shift between worlds, so that, and I think it's a really important aspect of healing, which is a lot of what your show talks about, is that, that we, um, we actually manage our speaking to what the listening field is that we speak into. And I think that's a really important aspect of our work. You know, I, I've worked a lot with Sandra Ingerman and, uh, you know, went, well, been through several of her teacher trainings doing moving meditation with her and with the global shamanic community. Um, and, and just to jump into the uncertainty thing, because in the course that I'm teaching with, with Mel Schwartz, Mel is a, a brilliant psychotherapist. And uh, he has written a book called The Possibility Principle, which I loved. And he really did a great job of uh, showing how the healing uh, properties that are embedded in the shamanic principles. And the first one would be embracing uncertainty. Why, why is that important? You know, people say to me, why would I want to embrace uncertainty? I want to know what's going to happen and I want to figure it out and I want to get it right. And that is exactly why there's so much angst, so much suffering, so much fear is because we think that we live in an objective world. The uh, uh, Newtonian Cartesian model of determinism is that you can, that, that 
thing, everything has a cause from the past and causes something. It's like we live in in a uh, world of objects. We're objects in a world of objects, which is uh, obviously how we've managed to do so much damage to our world, our environment, and to each other. So this thing about embracing uncertainty, at first it's like, I don't want to embrace uncertainty, I want to know. But it really allows us to free ourselves from the limer, limiting perspectives and the, the outdated, the, what I was talking about, the mechanistic worldview. And it allows us to move from fear of getting it right or wanting you know, an objective reality to really tap into the universe is uncertain. It's in flow. It flows with life as life unfolds. So when you begin to step into that place of embracing uncertainty, you step into a world of wonder and awe and innocence and availability. So the narrow constraints of our story and our story, uh, you know, our master narrative, people would call it the ego, has really only one purpose, and that's its own survival. So we all have a story, just like we all have a hand, but we aren't our hand and we aren't our story. So when we can stand back and witness our story, we begin to see that there are many beliefs that we have learned through experience, that we have um, uh, uh, it has been in our ancestral or our cultural lineage. Um, and there are many things that happen, uh, which we would call soul loss in shamanism. Soul loss being that there is a trauma that happens and it could be just something like someone looking at you funny, or it could be something like, uh, uh, rape or abuse or something, you know, that we would consider really horrible, but it doesn't have to be horrible. It has to do with the decision we make at the point when, you know, uh, we do something and someone looks at us in a dirty way and we make a decision. We say, I'm never going to risk again, or I'm unlovable, or, uh, uh, I don't, I'm uncreative, all these different things that are these suppressed parts, which most of your listeners are aware of. And then in shamanism, we would go and we would, uh, search for that part with our, with our guides and power animals and, uh, bring that part back and then work with the person to integrate that into their life. In other words, rewrite their story, which I, I know you know a lot of my work is about uh, deconstructing the story and rewriting the story. So uh, soul loss in from a quantum perspective would be a wave collapse. A wave collapse means that um, we naturally have waves of possibility that are flowing. You know, we've got all these things happening. We have 50 trillion cells, each one with 50 trillion atoms, and each one of those atoms with a proton and a neutron and an electrical field, and all this is happening in every cell of our body, which contains all of our story in, in our cellular memory. And so 
to relate that to physics, um, there are multiple possibilities available. One of the principles is that there's a rich world of possibility. What happens in a wave collapse is that the observer effect, the Heisenberg principle, when you observe the wave, it becomes a particle. In other words, you reduce all possibility to a single possibility or field of possibility that only exists at that time of observation. So I'm just giving an overview of some of these these principles. I hope that wasn't too much, but uh, that's a start anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the questions that I was going to ask is um, basically why bother? Right to explore this, but but you've already answered that, which is simply because what you're interested in and what produces results. And so, in other words, what I would say in answering my own question would be, um, what I observe when people do a version of their own shamanic practice, which is just sort of journey, 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 journey. Um, I got this answer from spirit. I got that answer from spirit. It, it doesn't necessarily address because the question is coming out of a certain set of stories. The answer is being interpreted through a certain set of stories and the perceived idea about what actions could be taken to follow through are also coming out of a certain set of stories. And so if we don't also understand this other piece that you're talking about, which is we're not neutral. Right, right. You know, we're all programmed up. (laughs) Yeah. And if we we really want to um, open ourselves to work with spirit, there's a bit of house cleaning that needs to happen so that we can really be effective in that in that role. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a good place actually to bring in this question that that came in from a listener. Um, it just this whole dynamic of how do we then you know get out of our story um, and and given these ideas that you're talking about. And so uh, Sarah's question is this. I have found it to be incredibly challenging to listen to others talk about their beliefs that I feel are uh, where the beliefs themselves embody the lie of separation, especially when I feel that what they believe is loaded with negativity and what she's saying is I'm looking for guidance and how to navigate this kind of experience. Mm. Yeah, she says in your intro, you speak about inviting others to the table and being challenged by their different views and way of thinking. But I really struggle with this sometimes. Um, Her question kind of goes on, but basically she's saying, I don't don't really want to poison my mind with their stories when I can tell the stories are all about live separation. Mm -hmm. Oh, brilliant question. Actually, I want to answer that in a minute. So. Hold on to that thought, listener. I want to answer your first question, though, a little more fully. And that is, why why bother? Yeah, (laughs) why bother? Because I think that's such an important uh, uh, question. And for me, why bother is to attain as close as possible a sense of wholeness or what we would call in physics coherence, both intrinsic and extrinsic. Uh, And and. I would say that the uniqueness, the energetic footprint that each of us brings into this life is suppressed so often with these beliefs that she's talking about. I, I uh, 
I always say uh, along the same lines is that almost any suffering you can come up with lives in the myth of separation. Mm-hmm. That that is the fundamental belief that keeps us separate, separate from our bodies, separate from each other, um, separate from the world, from all of nature, from the animals, from the cosmos. It, it is the biggest lie and it, it's the explanation of how we can we can poop in our own nest, you know, so to speak. Mm-hmm. We can just destroy our own nest, which is just unfathomable when you get to a particular point of realization but and so i can understand her her amazement at the beliefs that are generated uh in separation and but i want to talk particularly about well just to finish that so coherence when we're talking about coherence it means that everything is in alignment with everything else. And I talk about intrinsic coherence, meaning that you are in line with your own natural knowing. Uh, And that means that we uh, are bringing back the lost parts, the suppressed energy and essence to find that place of uh, harmony within ourselves. That's intrinsic Uh, coherence. And what I mean by that really is when we hear the voice that says, stop smoking, we stop. When we, you know, when we, (laughs) when we realize that we have an eating problem, we stop. We, you know, um, and sometimes it takes a lot of stopping to overcome the habitual patterns um, that are poisoning the mind. Now, the person who asked the question, you know, when you say, poisoning the my, my mind okay um well that that brings up a lot it's it's makes you a victim of the external world first of all so yeah there's a lot of toxic people out there don't don't take it that i'm saying they're not toxic people in the world however if we're completely interconnected with the world then that person is only reflecting a part of us that needs to be healed. So where are the toxins in me that keeps me separate from that person? That doesn't mean I have to like the person or anything. Let's say we see um, maybe a, a, a certain president in a certain country as being, you know, arrogant and ignorant. Okay, it's very easy to point our figure out there, but if we then come back and look and see where am I arrogant and ignorant and begin to let the stories arise that I carry, it could be the chance of unworthiness, as Tara Brock calls it. I love that term because it's so, uh, um, it's an epidemic really in our world right now. And so for me, the, the aspect is once we can, become the witness to our story and become uh, get into a place where we can deconstruct and note the patterns and beliefs because patterns and beliefs, particularly beliefs are shaping our perception, which is what is shaping our reality and giving us what reality is. So we're looking for intrinsic uh, wholeness there, first of all, that how do I find wholeness? Now, instead of suppressing 
the anger or the upset that happens when you meet a person you feel is poisoning you. Um, and, and you can embrace that in yourself and go deeper. And those are the doors for us to explore our own shadow side and go deeper and to really look at the, you know, is this true or is this a story? You know, you might have somebody say, um, I, you know, my story is that I'm unwanted. And well, you know, where did that story come from? Well, my mother told me that um, she didn't want to have a child, you know, or something like that. And, and you, you go back and you look at that story and you based your whole life on a statement that was made. And yet when you really begin to deconstruct, you see, well, was she a good mother? Yeah, she was a great mother. She sent me to college or whatever that is. So you reauthor the story. I mean, mostly we act as though we're spear carriers and carriers in someone else's opera. So you begin to deconstruct that story and reauthor your story. And then you'll come up against the things that need healing. And of course, that's what journey work and meditation and and all of the there's so many tools available in belief change psychology. Um, and, and, you know, that's what kind of we're offering in this course we're taking is some tools so that you can deconstruct and rewrite the story into a hero or a heroine's journey, like Joe Campbell's work. Um, so, again, I probably over-talked that, but I wanted to make sure I answered the question and, and looked at it from a place of wholeness. The other part, once you create intrinsic uh, coherence. Then there's your relationship to the world, which is the extrinsic coherence, so that we find harmony in the world. And I think that's really we're at a time where those of us who are even waking up a bit are realizing that uh, we are the healers of the world, the people that are bringing wholeness back to the world. And in the darkest of times, if you realize that, I remember one time I was interviewing uh, Julia Butterfly Hill, who I absolutely adore. And uh, she had been in, you know, Luna, the tree, protecting the tree for uh, over two years then. And uh, the, the uh, people chopped down a tree purposely that fell on and killed one of her, one of her friends, one of the protesters was down, that was down below. And, and she was just distraught and completely torn apart in grief and um, felt that things were absolutely hopeless. And here she is, you know, two years in a tree, um, three or four hundred feet. I can't remember all the details of Luna. but, but um, And she had this amazing epiphany. She, she thought, no, if I have hope, then hope is still alive in the world. And I always remember that story because it just touched me. If, if I uh, am committed to bringing wholeness and to dissolving the myth of separation and bringing uh, connection with the world, then you know, wholeness is alive somewhere in the world and it will spread. So just to finish that point up. The point of intrinsic and extrinsic. Right. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, as I was listening to you, I was thinking about um, 
the aspect of the, with the listener's question, the aspect of this that I think of is kind of like um, like our immune system. So instead of the fear of the poison of the idea, right? But one, when we look at it as a reflection of ourself and come into um, intrinsic coherence with that aspect of ourself by whatever means necessary, we, we strengthen our immunity to, to problematic ideas. You know, we, we have our own ideas in our head that fill our head, right? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so, the, I mean, the live separation goes deep. And and I totally agree with you about it as this this deep fundamental source of suffering, at least humanity's suffering, which then becomes the world's suffering. Um, and you know we can become in, you know as we do our work, we can become immune to allowing in these bad ideas, you know these these things that are really lies to the intrinsic nature of things. And well, um, I, versus getting in this either or black or white 1950s good or bad, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, oh, and absolutely. Of those ideas, yeah. Yeah. Well, all that comes from what I was talking about—the objective reality, which is one of the biggest myths, and why going back to embracing uncertainty, um, we need to actually recognize. Let me give you an example. We need to recognize that actually it's all subjective. Everything is subjective. Unfortunately, the deterministic model is embedded in our language. An example would be the mischief that the to be verbs uh, bring forth in our language. You are, it is, I was, all of those kinds of verbs cement us in a worldview that is static and not moving versus a becoming verb. I notice when I'm with you, I'm thinking that, um, you're not listening or, uh, I, I get, uh, I, I, you know, it's when you take responsibility. So there's room for the sacred other to emerge where I say, when you yell at me, it triggers me in my patterns of thinking I need to take care of you or whatever the issue is. And that I want to go to the thing you said about the immune system. Um, you know, I just had a thought of um, homeopathy. Uh, I say drink a little bit of the poison and let it in so you can feel it in your body. And the immunity that you're talking about comes from embracing the fear, embracing the uncertainty, embracing the need to get it right, not to suppress it, not to even try to change it. Because you wouldn't, you know, if we're outside of time, you bind yourself in time when you say, I am this or I am that or I'm not this. All of that kills the flow. And that's, that's the whole principle, the Heisenberg principle of observation, where all potential infinite potential, internal, external potentiality is available until you observe it. And in, in what I'm talking about, until you name it, 
and you call it something. You shut down the whole world of possibility. So take a little bit of the poison. Don't take too much. If you're around somebody that's an ang- angry a lot, take a little sip and, and feel it in your body and, and get to know your own anger and have empathy for yourself. Go away and and then you can develop more empathy for the other person. And as you do that and have no resistance to their anger, you'll likely find, it's not for sure because you can't do it to do that, but you'll likely find that that person's anger or victimhood or whatever the issue is that's poison, that you feel is poisoning you will begin to go down. But first, you start with healing yourself by taking little bits of the poison and allowing it in your system so that you can recognize, yes, we really are all connected and everything we do affects everything else. There is no cause. It is all connected. Well, and also I'm listening to you and realizing, you know, the other thing about taking a little bit of poison is it helps us track to where we're carrying it anyway because you know, we're all part exactly. of this old story. All of us alive right now are deeply indoctrinated in the old story, whether we like it or not, and yep. and are doing our best to climb out of that. You know, I, I um, was li- listening to what you were saying, and it reminded me of this moment working on the encyclopedia, which was, you know, many years of work, and um, – this, this really being immersed in these uh, stories, shamans all over the world talked about, about literally shape-shifting and um, uh, having competitions where they tried to see how big a ball of fire they could become, you know, at, at, at you know, summer gatherings and things like that. And I was just mm-hmm. like, you know, reading this over and over again from different peoples all over the world. And the world was a much bigger place then. Right. You know, these people really didn't talk to each other. They really lived very, very, very lifetimes apart from each other. And yet they're sharing these same experiences. And I was really suddenly understood that, you know, because I have the science background and the theories of relativity, et cetera, you know, back in the old days when I was in school, they were still the uncertainty principle was part of the package. Right. Mm -hmm. And I realized, oh, they didn't have names for everything yet. Everything wasn't so named and quantified and measured and defined. And so everything was more possible then. All of these amazing things that these pre-contact shamans did, I believe they did it because they lived in the same world but a vastly different world because we didn't have so many names. It wasn't quantified yet. And so things were possible that are really technically, I guess, still possible today, but so much more challenging because of that flow, you know, too many names. (laughs) Absolutely. There wasn't really a question in that. It's just I was just being reminded of a profound moment. It was one of the happy moments of writing that damn book (laughs) (laughs) of realizing, oh, wow, here's science at play in the world. So I wanted to circle back because – one, that was a, a direct application of what you're talking about. And let's circle back to what you said, which is that you're really interested in what produces results. Mm-hmm. And you already named some of the things that happen in the world of shamanic practice that don't produce results, which is out-of-body experiences for the sake of being out-of-body, you know, spiritual bypass, associated, you know, all, all of these things, which... Unfortunately, it's possible 
for our practices to lend themselves to or to disguise them as shamanic practice or whatever. So, so what is it about these ideas and in particular, since you are, you know, teaching a course, what is it about them that you feel allows people to be more effective, to produce results where they weren't able to before? Mm-hmm. That's great. Um, let me jump back before I answer that, because mm-hmm. you said you said something that I just want to underline. And also, I want to just thank you for the amazing encyclopedia. You called it that damn thing, but you know, <laughs> that is a huge contribution to the world of shamanism. And uh, it was really brilliantly, and I know you spent many years working on that. So I, I think it's amazing. Uh, so thank you for that. Also. Thank you. Yeah, also I want to talk just a moment about shape-shifting because I think it's an important practice today. We might not be turning into uh, a panther or a fire or a wind, uh, although I don't, I don't, I, I haven't seen the physical result of that, well, somewhat actually, but, but it's not that part of shape-shifting. It's the energetic shape-shifting that needs us to step into. That, uh, And I think that it's really important to do that with nature. You know, when, we fe- when, when we're fully in our body and we feel the wind on our face, well, what do we do with that? We think, you know, we make a comment of, you know, either it's windy or uh, the weather's good or bad or some kind of assessment of it. But what about taking that wind, which is the breath, which is really, you know, they say in the beginning was the word, but before the word was silence and between the word and silence was the wind, the first element, the breath. Um, so, you know, shape-shifting into a new story is a really powerful thing to do. And that is an embodied thing. It's holding a very strong intention and exploring the beliefs that keep us from shifting into that um, uh, new form. And it's, it is an essential part of our growth is to learn to shape shift, not into a panther or a bear or something like that. But, uh, you know, there are qualities that we can certainly learn by moving into the essence of bear or the essence of of the wind. So I, I think what you're saying isn't isn't just I don't want to have it just be a throw off that that intention um, uh, it can feed us the energy that we can we can absorb from nature, you know, in your beautiful invocation, you know, all the things you brought in there, the ancestors, the elements, the directions, those all feed us to make this journey from the um, restricted egoic self into the wider and wider uh, uh, circles of, uh, of natural innate power and intuition and ability to shift the through the beliefs by deconstructing those beliefs. So I think it's really an important thing. I, and that brings us to results then. Um, yes, 
you know, when I look at shamanism that, you know, it's arguable how long, but it could be 50, 100, 200,000 years. Certainly it's the oldest spiritual practice, earth-based, uh, 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 elemental-based practice on the planet. How did it survive? I think you, you mentioned some of the things, you know, burning at the stake and, and burning the books and, and uh, taking away the drums and all those things. And yet it survived. Why, did, why has shamanism survived and even uh, now having such a resurgence in the world? It's because it produces results. So if you're doing practices and they're not producing results, then there's something there that's a barrier to you becoming a hollow bone, allowing you know, the energy of spirit, allowing your um, uh, energetic footprint to be walking on the earth. Um, so there are beliefs there that are worked with. Well, we all are working at different, ele- different levels. Each of those beliefs to do belief change, um, to really examine when we when we respond to somebody with a strong objection, let's say uh, you're uh, pro-life or pro-choice, you know, well, we've put we've already gotten ourselves into trouble because it's it's either this or that, and when we separate things into this or that, dualistically, uh, you know, right or wrong, all of those. We, we lock ourselves into debilitating belief uh, systems which cost us our essence as opposed to uh, looking at things um, uh, from the point of view of and, you know, uh, instead of either or, both and, you know. In China, they have these kind of gargoyle guardians of the temple that you probably have seen pictures of. Most people don't realize that what they are are the guardians of the truth. Oh, well, what's the truth? Uh, Well, I don't know what the truth is, but I know the guardians that come up are pretty obvious when you think about it. They're confusion and paradox. So how can we then pierce into our own confusion and be able to sit with it and be with it and sit with paradox and be able to, to do that. that. That allows us to get down to our essential self, to the light that emanates from the great stillness within. Much of this, I say, comes from that meditative uh, place where we can touch the great stillness, uh, um, and, and experience that within our body. Again, I'm all about embodied shamanism, taking all of your senses with you when you travel. <laughs> I'm just, ch- I'm just chuckling because I'm, I'm seeing myself time and time again saying, "Okay, I'm going to show you this concept with interpretive dance <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. and journeying." It's like taking that whole. Uh, felt sense energy body with you all the time, everywhere. Yeah. Okay. So well, Michael- well, let me say something about that. Very short. Uh, I know we're getting close to the end, but but I think that's a really important point you make because we turn our suffering into art, like dance or painting or writing in our journal, and we turn our art into awareness, and it's the awareness that does the healing, you really don't need to try to change something. You just need to be more aware. 
Mm-hmm. End of story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, in this last chunk of time, what? How would you see our day-to-day lives, the world in, as we experience it, be different if we, if the majority of people were actually embodying? these ideas that you're talking about, the ideas you and Mel are sharing in the course. What, what's your vision of what could be? Well, I would say it's kind of obvious right now that we live <laughs> in, in fragmented selves. Right? Really? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we are in a world of disconnection. So the first place that we go is the instrument that we have is the body you know that's where you you meet the world first by being in all your senses as i said when you journey traveling with all your senses and then once you're there you you have a kind of natural knowing of what's true for instance you know an exercise i often do with people uh is to to pay attention to your body, get in your body, particularly your upper body, and um, and just pay really close attention and say something's not tr- say something that you know is not true, and you say, okay, you know, my name is, I'll say my name is Jane. Okay, that's obviously not true. So I'll say my name is Jane, and I'll really pay attention to the molecular. Uh, and cellular movement within my body. And I will notice the more I'm in my body that there's a kind of a contraction that takes place, a kind of shrinking inward. Like when you have a a feeling about when you meet somebody that you might want to run or at least get away from them as quickly. You have that kind of feeling of closing in. And then you say something's true, even could be your name. My name is Michael. Just in saying that, there's an expansion in my chest, my shoulder and and heart open up. So the more you can be embodied, the more empowered you will be to meet what what is your particular um, destiny, your path, your fire, to open to that more and more and to begin to dissolve you know, I to, to, to really work with the elements, you know, when I work with the breath, uh, the breath, breath is so sacred. You breathe in the world from the outer limits of the cosmos. You're bringing the world into you and you, you touch into the expansive interiority, the infinite field of the interiority, and then you breathe out again. There is no connection between you and the world. You know, it's that sense of self and the object uh, and the search for objective reality in a deterministic world that, uh, that creates suffering because we think we're separate, but we're not. So when you're really in your body, that's the place we start. And that's part of what, you know, Mel is someone who comes very much from the head. He has a, he has a big heart too, but his, you know, he's a brilliant guy. I come very much through the mystical traditions and embodiment and the heart. And, you know, it's not that I'm stupid, but I'm in my body. 
uh, <laughs> and that body has a, 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 an awareness that allows me to um, uh, notice when something's off. No, you know, like there's a, there's the, a point between the stimulus and the response. Uh, that gap gets bigger and bigger in terms of uh, being outside of time and the ability to choose. Like if I say something to Marielle and my voice is a little bit like, um, God, what did you do? You know, so it, like, it has that kind of tone to it. I'll immediately notice it. And so, you know, it's very healing for the relationship because I, I listen to that and I hear that and I and, and I'm authentic about it. And one of the things that I talk about a lot, I know we're getting close to the end, but is the community field. And just let me say something about that. We need to learn to uh, how can we change the field? Because think of a drug addict who gets clean and sober for uh, 90 days and comes out into the world. And what do they do? They go and visit their friend, uh, their friends. And, and in 24 hours, they're using again. People don't realize how powerful that you, you've trained your community to the, the areas where you're a victim for them to respond to you like, like that. And so, the, the, you know, the world we live in is the one that comes out of our mouth and impacts our field. So we have to retrain the community field when we're doing work around re-authoring uh, our own story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So for those of you that might be interested in exploring this ever more deeply with both Michael and Mel, um, I want to remind you all that this course goes live March 7th and that you can register. And it's video. It's video. And it's That's video. a really important thing. Yeah. 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 And that you can register by going to Well of Light, W-E-L-L-O-F-L-I-G-H-T. Welloflight.com backslash forward slash forward slash forward slash transcending. And um, the course is called Transcending Anxiety, Stress, and Depression. And um, it's a six week course. And and as I'm trying to say, it's registering now. So please, uh, if you are interested or just feel engaged or the show today kind of hangs with you as you move on about your week, I encourage you to jump online and register. Oh, an, um, another another thing real quickly is that mm-hmm. uh, I it's either tonight or tomorrow night that the um, cheap seats are gone. There's a, there's an early registration uh, <laughs> price. <Cheap seats>. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I don't uh, on on my radio show. You can't say anything about money, but just know that there's a there's a good discount by uh, getting in there in the next 24 or it might be tomorrow it might be. Uh, midnight tomorrow. Yeah, nice. I think it is. Nice. Yeah, very nice. Well, Michael, thank you for joining us today, and thanks for your work. Thank you, Christina, and thank you for all your work and just the the force you are in the world. It's really a delight to uh, be able to spend time with you and your listeners and uh, all the. You know, it's when you do the kind of thing you do. I know it's really important to uh, if you like the shows that we just did or any of Christina's show, it's so important to support this kind of work because you're not going to find it in mainstream media. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Especially we know today. That. Holy moly, right? All right. So, Michael, I give gratitude to your ancestors for dreaming you up. And I give gratitude to all of our ancestors for circling around us today, those human ancestors and non-human ancestors. Gratitude to the earth below and the sky above and to the heart that unites us all. Uh, quickly, I want to remind everyone, we've been reminding you for weeks, but remind everyone that the Power of Shamanism Summit is happening right now. This is day two, but like all sh- summits, of course, it's being recorded. You can still register. My little piece is going to be tomorrow night, Wednesday night, and um, you can register through the link on my homepage at lastmaskcenter.org. You can also download the registration form for Masks of Illusion this year. It's filling up. So those of you that want to join us this year in the cycle of transformation, now is the time to register. The preparation material will be going out shortly. And um, finally, my own live video transformational online courses beginning with the clearing process you all have heard about endlessly on my shamanism now will be beginning in April. And all of that information is at lastmasscenter.org. Thank you everyone for listening.